Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In John chapter 19, Jesus proclaimed three words, quote, It is finished. Without these three words, no human being that ever lived could ever go to heaven. Without these three words, all humanity would ultimately perish and spend eternity in hell. When Jesus Christ said these three words, he completed the work of redemption, and every human being can now be saved from their sin, have a relationship with the triune God, and go to heaven when they die. This happens only by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 19 and look at the incredible completion of the work of Jesus Christ our Lord at the cross of Calvary. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus. It's the meaning of life, growing to know Jesus, growing to obey him, uh, growing to emulate him in everything. That's, that's why we do all that we do. That's why we do these teachings. That's why we live. Um, today we're going to finish John 19, Lord willing, verses 28 to 42, and we're going to see the, the culmination of what Jesus came and did and, and lived a perfect life and then died this horrible, torturous death. And he did all that on our behalf and, our, and in our place. He did not need it. He came into the world, became a human man to die a torturous death after living a perfect, righteous, obedient life in every way, never sinned, so that humanity could be redeemed, could be bought back, purchased from sin. Uh, he did it so that the wrath of God the Father against sin, all sin is evil, every sin is evil, every sinful thought Every sinful word, every sinful action is evil. And the wrath of God was, was poured on Jesus. The wrath of God the Father was poured on God the Son. Jesus, Jesus willingly took it. When he, when he held out his arms on the cross, he opened his arms and took the full wrath of God for the sin of the world into himself so that you and I could be brought into relationship with the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so that we could be forgiven of our sin by receiving Jesus Christ and trusting in him alone as our only Lord and Savior. And so that we could ultimately go to heaven and spend eternity in heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit uh, when we leave this life. So thank you, Lord Jesus. There are uh, there are no words for that. Now, in response to that, the only, the only reasonable response to all that Jesus did there is to spend our lives growing and knowing, growing to love him, growing to know his love, growing to be like him, growing in our desire to be like him. All right. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you, Father, for just this book of John, Lord, which we're, we're coming to wrap up here in another couple chapters. We, we thank you, Father, for just giving us this Bible. We thank you that we have your living word to feed us, to encourage us, to correct us, to rebuke us, to train us to be like Jesus. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for willingly dying a torturous death for us. And we thank you today that you are alive and risen and we worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now. 
Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Open the word of God to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, John 19, verses 28 to 42. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Jesus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, yeah, this chapter of John 19 of, of Jesus before Pilate, and then just the just the the horrible torture and flogging and beating and the driving of the crown of thorns and just the nasty, just just the unspeakable way that the soldiers uh, brutally tortured Jesus, and then the, the brutal crucifixion. Now, just the ending up of it is just, uh, again, in studying for this and preparing for this. And, and when we when we read this, you know, when we read these chapters of the uh, the death of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and how he was flogged and tortured, it, it really ought to drive us to uh, it ought to drive us to repentance. Frankly, we ought to look at the sacrifice that he made that he made and want to be more like him. Now, again. You know, trying to be like Jesus, desiring to be like Jesus, living your life for Jesus and like Jesus does nothing to save you from your sin. It does nothing to get you to heaven, not even a little bit, right? We cannot add to what Jesus has done at the cross. The only way for us to be saved from our sin, to come into relationship with God the Father as our heavenly Father, and with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and Master and King, and, and with the Holy Spirit as our guide and comforter and counselor, is to humble ourselves, to completely humble ourselves, acknowledge ourselves as, as, as utterly useless and worthless sinners, hopeless, desperate, helpless, and in, in complete need of a Savior, knowing that without Jesus, only eternal hell awaits. In acknowledging our sinfulness and humbling ourselves before Jesus, 
John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Okay? So out of that state of humility, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, knowing your desperate need of him, knowing that he is your only hope? From there, you simply call out to him. Romans 10.13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now hear me, it's not its not saying words. It's not just puppeting words that saves us. It doesn't save us at all. It's Jesus that saves us, right? Uh, we use our words to communicate the authenticity and genuineness of our heart to Jesus. So if you're not sure that you're a Christian today, if you're not sure that you've received him, you can go before him now. And, and again, in as much genuine humility as you know how, you humble yourself before Jesus and simply acknowledge to him, Lord Jesus, I confess I am a sinful person. Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself. I know that I am hopeless and helpless. Lord Jesus, I'm desperate. But I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the son of God. And I believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and risen today. And therefore, I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. A Christian is someone who's, who's trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. So again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian today, if you think maybe, you know what, I know I believe in Jesus intellectually, but I'm not sure that I'm trusting in him. Again, back up the tape. Use the words that I used. But again, keep in mind, it's the genuineness and the sincerity and the true humility of your heart that matters to the Lord. And again, God has given his word that if in truth and in humility and in genuineness and sincerity of heart, you call out to him, you know, truly desiring him to be your savior and Lord, Romans 10, 13 promises, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And again, it's a, it's a calling out of an understanding of your desperate need of him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Okay, so we're going to see down here um, that a few things are, are not going to happen, right? We're going to see that, um, we're going to see that where the, the two thieves that were crucified with him, remember, one repented and went to heaven, you know, with Jesus, right? Um, but they're going to break the legs of the two thieves, it says, the two robbers, um, because what would happen, and again, as I was preparing for this, it's just, it's hard because, you know, the, the scholars, the, the historical scholars um, explaining all that happened in crucifixion, but as you were, as you're hanging on a cross, because you're apparently you're again you're you're there are spikes nailed through your wrists and your feet and the only way to to, to get a proper breath of air would be to, to push yourself up with your legs now this would cause immense pain but as you push yourself up with your legs you could you could get a gasp of air and so you know sometimes they you know the scholar said that that the that someone could hang there for up to 36 hours and still not be dead. So when they broke the legs of the person being crucified, no more could they apparently raise themselves up to get that breath. And, um, and they would, you know, they would suffocate and die from a lack of oxygen very quickly. Um, so it says later, knowing that all was now completed, right? Jesus knew that he had finished the work that he had been given to do. He had come. He had lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf. Right, Corinne? Now, then he died 
a horrible, torturous death also on our behalf, meaning that's the death we should have died. He took our place, right? He was punished in our place. He was crucified in our place. He died the death we deserved to die. As I've said before, you know, it was you and I, y'all, who nailed Jesus to the cross. I nailed the spike on his left hand. My wife, May, nailed the spike on his right hand. And all the rest of us nailed the, the spikes into his feet. You see what I'm saying? He took those spikes for us. He was crucified for us. And it says later, knowing that all was now completed. And so the scripture would be fulfilled. This Bible we're studying, Uncle Dennis, these scriptures that we study. Okay. Every word in the Bible, Junior, is true. The word of God is just that. It is the living word of God, right? It is flawless, right? The scripture says that every word of God is flawless, the psalmist says, right? Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed, okay? It's perfect. It's the word of God, and it will be fulfilled. And Jesus, knowing the word of God, being God himself who, you know, who gave us the word, it says knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He's at the end of his life. He's about to willingly end his life and give up his spirit now. Again, showing that no one took his life from him. And we'll read that in a minute. It says in verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there. Now, this would have been a, a jar of wine that the soldiers would have drank, um, you know, just in, in passing the time. Um, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. And so, you know, again, he's, he's, his face is just bloodied and beaten. And so, you know, he opens his mouth and takes it around the sponge. It says in verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, uh, there, there are six most important words in the Bible. The three most important words in your Bible are Matthew 28, verse 6. It also says in verse 7, he is risen. Those are the three most important words in your Bible, that Jesus Christ is risen. But we couldn't have those three most important words if we didn't first have these most important words. Okay? Before he can be risen, he has to have finished the work he came to do. He has to have paid the debt for the sin of the world. He has to have paid it completely and totally. And he has to have satisfied the wrath of God the Father on the sin of the world. So notice when he says in verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, and listen to these three words, it is finished. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished, John 19.30. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. These words, it is finished, okay? It has to be finished before the resurrection can come. If he has not finished the work of dying for the sin of the world, of paying the debt for the sin of the world, then redemption and salvation for humanity cannot happen. But these three words, God the Son, Jesus, Jesus' full-blown almighty God, proclaims, it is finished. It's one Greek word called teletestai, and it's translated, it is finished. It's also translated, paid in full. Okay? The work of the cross, the payment for your sin and mine, has been paid in full. The debt is paid, right? 
Scholars tell us that in Jesus's day, when when a debt was paid off, they would take the 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 parchment or whatever or, you know whatever the debt was recorded on, and you would write "telatesti," right? Paid in full. Okay, this word "it is finished" means "telatesti." It means it's finished. The debt is paid. It's paid in full. So again, that's just interesting historical context, right, Jose? So again, when you had a debt, you know, and it was and it was completed and, and you had paid it off, they would write this word teletestai, okay? Which means it's finished, the debt has been paid in full. Jesus said, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So do you see why I say the, th the three most pivotal words before the resurrection, John 19.30, it is finished. The three most important words ever, Matthew 28.6, he is risen. Why is it that the resurrection is the most important three words? Well, the resurrection authenticates the, the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, right? When, when Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And by the way, in John 10, we're going to read 17 and 18, Jesus raised himself from the dead. The scriptures say that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And in Romans, I believe, verse 8, it says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. It, the work of, of the resurrection of Christ, you know, you can see the cooperation of the entire Trinity in it. As a matter of fact, the entire work of Christ, the entire work of redemption, of Jesus entering into the world, you can see the cooperation of God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. It's incredible, right? Um, and so Jesus proclaims, it is finished. He has finished the work that he's been given to do. He's lived a perfect life for you and I. He's now died a perfect death for you and I, okay? The reason that's so important is that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is an exchange, right, Peyton? There's an exchange at the cross of Christ. When you humble yourself and give your life to Jesus, and again, you know, you can rewind the tape, and I talked about how to do that earlier, again, and I can't stress enough, don't just puppet the words. Again, it's when we're genuinely knowing our need of Christ and then we, we humbly receive Christ and ask him to be the Lord of our life and save us from our sin, knowing that without him only hell awaits, right? When you give your life to Jesus, there is an exchange. All of your sin, past, present, and your future sin, right? Someone will say, well, what about my future sins now that I'm a Christian? When Jesus died for your sins, Corinne, how many of them were future sins? People start trying to think about that. A lot of people, oh, what's that mean? Okay, so when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, Esther, for your sins, how many of Esther's sins were future sins? All of them, right? All of your sins were future sins. So yes, the triune God lives outside of time. They created time. So when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you genuinely receive him and trust in him and rely on him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul and to bring you to heaven when you die, all of your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, is credited right here, right now to Jesus at the cross. And the wrath of God and the punishment of that sin, which would have been eternity in hell, is also credited to Jesus at the cross. Okay? And in exchange for that, the perfect righteous life that he lived when he said it is finished, he actually lived a perfect, righteous, sinless life. That life is credited to you and to me as if we lived it. It's incredible, Kristen. That exchange of my horrible, disgusting sin, all of it, for the perfect, righteous life of Jesus, that exchange is the, is the absolute heart 
of the Christian gospel. So when he says it is finished, okay, um, he's completed the work of living the perfect righteous life and dying the perfect righteous death. When I say a perfect righteous life, he never sinned. Jesus never sinned. It's inconceivable, okay? He never sinned in thought, word, and deed. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It says here, he gave up his spirit, okay? Once again, they couldn't kill him. Okay, because he was sinless, because he's perfect, and because he is God, okay, in practical fact, they could not kill him. Now, he willingly submitted to this. He, he willingly submitted to this torture and this crucifixion, again, to redeem humanity, right? But you notice it says very clearly with that, he bowed his head, and this is a bow of peace. This is a bowing of the head that relates to the fact that he's completed the work. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He chose, again, the moment of his death. When I was studying for this, you know, um, you know, Jesus is going to fulfill all the scriptures about um, about not one of his bones being broken. He's going to fulfill the scriptures of, of when he was pierced in his side. Um, and so Jesus is going to submit to burial. Not only that, the scriptures say that, that Jesus went to hell and preached to the, you know, to the evil and the good in hell. Um, again, there's a, it says that very clearly in first Peter three. Um, now I want to make something clear. Jesus did go to hell. And in a certain manner, we would have gone to hell. But Jesus, we would have gone to hell and he went to hell. Now, some would say in our place, but here's what's important. Jesus didn't suffer in hell. Okay. Make no mistake. Jesus conquered hell. So when Jesus entered hell, never was hell so terrified than when God the Son entered hell. Right? You remember in Philippians 2, it says that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, again, Jesus died in our place. He was punished in our place and in some measure went to hell in our place. But where we would have suffered in hell and would have been, hell would have kept us for eternity, Jesus conquered hell. In no way did hell make sport of Jesus. When Jesus entered hell, never had such a fear come over hell as when the Son of God entered hell. Okay? All right, so I opened that can of worms, so I got now I guess I'll go and read that. Um, it's in 1 Peter 3. Okay. It says in verse 18, 1 Peter 3, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19, Through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, Hades, hell, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay, so he, he preaches to the disobedient and also to the obedient. Okay, um, and so uh, again, it's, you know, Jesus could have, at the moment he says it is finished, in the next seconds, he could have immediately raised himself from the dead and it would have been done. But there was work he did during those, those days, part of Friday, all of Saturday, and part of Sunday. You know, he was doing work in the spiritual realm, right? Um, again, it's just, it's so much to comprehend, but it's, it's, it's incredible. 
Golly. All right, all right, all right. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his spirit by choice. Again, Jesus was perfect. He's sinless. He's God. He chose to give up his spirit. If you go back to John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, it says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. But then look what he says, only to take it up again. I lay down my life only to take it up again. And look at him double down in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. I do. Okay. Again, Jesus is God Almighty. On earth, you know, he submits to God the Father and he is led by God the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, This command I receive from my Father. Um, so it says he gave up his spirit. He, he chose again to die. They could not take it from him. Okay. He does this by choice. Verse 31. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. Again, this is just a, this is incredibly interesting. It was such a horrific sight, such a disgusting sight that during this time, this, this holy week of the Sabbath, um, you know, the Jewish leaders didn't want the, you know, the Jerusalem could be filled with like 250,000 people, right? And they didn't want this, just this disgusting display of three mutilated dead bodies hanging on the cross. Often scholars say, as I was studying this, that that Rome generally would leave the bodies on the cross to be just devoured by birds of prey and wild animals and stuff. It was, it was gross. Again, and all this was done to set an example, lest anyone else should go against what Rome said, right? Um, but the Jews didn't want the, the disgusting sight to, you know, you know, to, uh, to defile the, the, the week of the Sabbath. And I'll, and I'll say again, it's incredible that they're, they can be so concerned with these little things, but, but they had no problem turning over a completely innocent man who had never done anything wrong, lying, making up Trump charge, excuse me, making up, make, trumping up these charges against them that were not true, right? Lying about everything and, and having him murdered. They, they, they weren't bothered about that, but yet, you know, um, they didn't want to, to have this bad appearance on the Sabbath. And that is just the nature of religion. And y'all, we do have to search our own hearts that where we can, you know, where we can be so contemptible, where we can be so selfish and so self-serving as these Jewish leaders are. Um, and yet, you know, pretend to be so pious in these little things, you know, um, when we read this in the Bible, when we see this, we ought to look at it and say, man, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Lord, show me where I'm like this and, and help me to repent. Show me where I have this religious spirit. You know, um, you know, Jesus told the, the religious leaders in Matthew 23, I believe it is, that, you know, you, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel, Right. A gnat is like a little bug, right? A fly, you know, you, you take a, you take a, you, you know, a small thing out of you, but you swallow a camel and, you know, um, again, they didn't want this disgusting sight. They didn't want people to have to see it. They didn't want to infringe on the, the whole special religious activities of that week, but yet they had just destroyed and killed and murdered and lied and everything they did with Jesus. Verse 32. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. The other. It's, uh, it says that they would have used, scholars say they would have used a club or an iron bar, and again, it would have just been a, uh, a horrific, a horrific experience. But again, one of, the, um, one of the two robbers, one of the two thieves that were on the cross with Jesus were told in Luke that he, 
you know, he gave his life to Jesus. He asked Jesus for mercy. He asked Jesus to remember him. Jesus promised him that that day he would be with him in paradise. And now once these legs are broken, the man's not going to be able to breathe anymore and he's going to die. Um, and, you know, he is, uh, again, the pain of this and the excruciating pain of this, again, is just so malicious. There's no words. But in some level, it was a mercy because, as I said, scholars said that, you know, that, that the person could hang there for up to 36 hours. And so once you break the legs, he's apparently going to die in minutes. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 34, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So again, it's been said, some say medically, um, and again, I don't know anything about this, but if the spear went, you know, into his heart, there's like a sack around the heart and something like a, a, a water is around it. Um, and so, and when you were dead, right, something would have happened or coagulated. I have no idea how it all works, but there is a medical explanation for the, you know, for what looked like blood and water coming out, right? Um, and so, um, you know, and so they don't, for whatever reason, the, so it's not for whatever reason, it's so the scripture would be fulfilled, okay? Um, when you go down to verse 36, it says, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So um, we can look at uh, Exodus 12, 46 and Numbers 12. There are three scriptures. So they don't break Jesus' bones. The soldier breaks the, the one on Jesus' left. He, he breaks the one on Jesus' right. But then he's moved and sees that Jesus is already dead, so he doesn't strike Jesus in his legs. Now, he didn't know this, but the Bible said that, that Jesus' bones would not be broken. So let's first turn to Psalm 3420. Psalm 34, verse 20. There's several scriptures here. Psalm 3420 says, I'll start in 19. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the, the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Do you see that? Psalm 34, verse 20. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. So the psalmist, again, unwittingly prophesied that not one of Jesus's bones will be broken. And it wasn't broken there. Um, Exodus 12, 46 and Numbers 12. Let me see what I get to first here. All right. Numbers 9, 12. I'm sorry. So let's go to Numbers 9, chapter, uh, verse 12. Numbers 9, verse 12 says, They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. So you see, that's another prophecy from, what, 1,500 years earlier, okay? Um, and then Exodus 12, verse 46, you know, the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? So Exodus 12, verse 46, and this is an interesting one. All right, it says... We'll start, and these are Passover restrictions now. And keep in mind, Jesus is being crucified right at Passover time. And again, the, the imagery there is incredible, okay? Uh, Exodus 12, these are instructions given to Moses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. 46, it must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break 
any of the bones. So again, this is in the Old Testament, 1,500 years earlier. Do not break any of the bones of that Passover lamb. If you don't know the story of the Passover, uh, the Lord told Moses to take a pure and spotless lamb, okay? Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He told Moses to slaughter the lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of, of all the Hebrews, all the Jews. And if when the death angel comes to strike down the firstborn male in every house, if the death angel sees the blood of the lamb, death will pass over that house and life will be granted. Right, Gwenda? You see the connection to Jesus. If you have the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, if you have the blood of the lamb covering your heart, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross for payment for your sins, right? The blood of the lamb covers you and death will pass over you and eternal life will be given you in Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Now, also let's look at Zechariah 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as as one grieves for a firstborn son. So again, this is Zechariah 12, verse 10. It says in verse 36 in John 19, these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. So you see all the scriptures Jesus is fulfilling here, right? Jesus is intentional in all these things to make sure the word of God is fulfilled because it must be fulfilled, right? Not one of his bones will be broken. We read the three scriptures on that. And then we read in Zechariah 12, 10, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Okay. Verse 35. Now, this is an incredible verse in this, and it may be, it's, it may be the most important verse for us in this entire Bible, right? In this entire book, everywhere. Verse 35. Now, John is going to testify here. Verse 35. The man who saw it has given testimony. This is John. He was standing by the cross, we're told. Um, you remember that John was standing there with, with uh, you know, we'll go ahead and read it. Just um, And John, and, you know, just like 10 verses earlier, it says in verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and that's John, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So we, we talked about how Jesus is in, in incredible suffering. He's been tortured. He's crucified on the cross. He's humiliated. And yet he's still looking out for his mother and he makes sure that his mother is well taken care of. And it says that John took her into his home. Now in verse 35, it says the man who saw it has given testimony. John is speaking of himself. He has a humility, so he doesn't mention himself in the scriptures. But he says the man who saw it, John was standing there. He witnessed every detail of it and it's seared into his memory, right? The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. Everything we're saying here, May, is true. Everything in here, Ian, is absolutely true. Verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is 
true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. John saying, I'm writing this down. I saw it. I testify to it. I know that I'm telling the truth. And he testifies so that you also may believe. We have this in the Bible so that we believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. He did indeed come into the world, lived a perfect, righteous, obedient, sinless life for all of us, died a horrible, sinless, righteous, obedient death for us, and he is indeed alive and risen. And we have life in his name, as he's going to say in the next chapter. Okay? Um, and I've been... Stephen had told me I was, I, uh, I've been using a lot of scriptures. In the next chapter, we'll, we're going to do this next time, um, probably be two teachings from now, but John chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why we do these things, that you may have life in Jesus, that you may have salvation in giving your life to Christ, and that you may have eternal life. Remember, eternal life is not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life, right? That by believing and walking with Jesus, you'll just have a life full of life, instead of a wasted life, just full of worldliness and death, right? All right. Verse 38, later Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And that would be 75 pounds of our weight, right? Of what it would be for, for us, right? 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to clean the body of Jesus. And again, as I was studying for this and the scholars were explaining just all that would happen when they took this body down. Can you imagine this, y'all? Imagine it was you taking the spikes out of his hands and just how brutally his face is beaten up and cut. And you're just cleaning the body and preparing it so that it would be perfect, right? Now, again, even this was done and Jesus was protecting the fact that he was going to be raised from the dead. Because, you know, when Joseph goes and asks Pilate for the body, he's clearly a wealthy man, right? Um, and Nicodemus bringing these 75 pounds is very wealthy. Again, the body's being protect, protected from, you know, from just wild animals, from birds of prey. Um, and so it's, you know, Jesus is going to be laid in the tomb and they're going to clean his body. And again, he'll be resurrected, you know, on the third day. Um, it says now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Him and Nicodemus were both secret disciples of Jesus. Now they're going to come boldly. Joseph is going to ask for the, the, the body of Jesus, and he's going to care for Jesus. He's, they're, they're, going to, they're going to show this incredible act of love. Again, try to imagine it's you, right? Try to imagine it's you, Rap, that's, that's, uh, that's doing this. Can you see it, Pop? Imagine it's you, and you're, you're taking down this body of Jesus, and uh, you know, you're caring for it, and you're washing it, and you're preparing it with this... What, what is it called with uh, myrrh and aloes, right? This mixture to, to wash and care for and anoint a body, right? Um, you know, some of us are, you know, our secret disciples of Jesus oftentimes. We don't, you know, we're, we, we really don't talk about Jesus. We're, you know, we're reticent to ever bring him up. We don't want to look like we're radical, right? But, but really in all light of what Jesus has done for us, we want to more and more be publicly proclaim Jesus Christ as our only hope, right? We don't want to be secret disciples. And now Joseph and Nicodemus, who were secret disciples, 
are now going out and caring for Jesus and having an opportunity to serve him and even going before the Roman governor and, and showing uh, Joseph is showing his devotion to Jesus, right? Verse 40, taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it. These are wealthy men. They could have had people do it, but they did this work. Again, what his back would have looked like just ripped open the holes in his hands, his feet. I mean, it's, his face, the crowns pulling the thorns out of his skull, right? I was just reading this and what it would have been like. It says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. So they did this personally. They could have had their servants do it, but they did it personally. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Um, the other gospel tells us that it was the tomb belonged to Joseph himself, who was a rich man, and he had this tomb brought out for himself. Um, no one had ever been in the tomb. Uh, one scholar said that, uh, that, you know, if other holy people had been put in the tomb, somebody, you know, some of the religious people could have said that, you know, well, his body was laid next to a holy prophet again. Or something like that. His body was laid next to some holy man who died in the past. And that's why Jesus was raised. But So it's clear that it says at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So no one had ever been in there. Verse 42, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Um, again, there, there's just so many observations about this. Um, it said that, you know, there was a garden, Adam and Eve, right? We're in the, the garden of Eden when they sinned, right? And brought sin in the world. And Jesus ultimately is, is in a garden, you know, when he finishes the redemption of the world, right? It's pretty incredible. You see that? Um, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, right? You remember they were in the garden of Eden, a beautiful place, Jesus has now finished the work of redemption. So you can see the, the symmetry, the imagery of it, right? Um, and he is in the garden in a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Wow. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is finished, Lord. We thank you that you have finished the work of redemption that it is forever finished, that the payment for the sin of the world has been paid in full. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for willingly sending your only son, God the Son, Jesus, to die in our place as miserable sinners. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.